Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Spirit, lead us into trust that's without borders. Let us walk upon the waters wherever you would call. Take us deeper than we would willingly wander. In the reading of your word, make our faith stronger and increase our desire to share it with others. Amen. The scripture today is taken from John 3, 11 through 21. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet we do not, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is a judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, evangelism. Um, I, I was joking with Peter right after the children's moment that some of our kids have meme-worthy faces. Um, he said the word evangelism, and I saw this look. <laughs> I, I think maybe some of us in the pews kind of wanted to make that look too. Um, evangelism isn't always the most comfortable word that we deal with. But if we're honest about discipleship, if we're honest about our faith, then we know the very first call to discipleship was a call to evangelism. All four Gospels tell us this story of Jesus walking along the beach and coming to the fishermen and calling out and saying, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. At the very beginning, core to who we are is the idea that we must share the hope we found in Christ. But along the way, between Andrew and Peter and today, evangelism has kind of picked up some connotations, some baggage that we don't necessarily like or want to carry around. But what if I told you that really evangelism 
sharing the good news is as simple as answering three questions. Just three. Why do people need Jesus Christ? Why do they need the church, capital C? And why do they need this church? Chapelwood United Methodist Church of Lake Jackson, Texas. Why do people need Jesus? Why do they need the church? Why do they need this church? Might be a, an easier way to look at evangelism. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at each of those questions. We're going to see how they've played out in Scripture, in our history, and what, they might have to, and what the answers might have to say for us today and for those that we encounter in our daily lives. So we start with the big one, right? Why do people need Jesus Christ? There was a time in the history of the Western world where it was kind of popular to think that maybe we had outgrown the need for Jesus Christ. The 1700s, Kate's personal favorite historic playground, the Enlightenment was taking over the world. I mean, even in popular thought, there was all this excitement about the new things that we were learning. There were new sciences opening up, like chemistry and geology. They hadn't really even gotten to physics yet. There were all these new discoveries in medicine and anatomy. We were learning so much about the world around us. A lot of popular writers began to kind of say, you know, yes, there's still some poverty, there's still some disease, but give us enough time, give us enough effort, and we will figure this thing out. We as people, we can take care of each other, we, we can solve all of the world's problems, and eventually it's going to get perfect all on our own. The church was a nice, you know, kind of security blanket in the Middle Ages when we didn't really know how things worked. It, it was comforting, but, but now we've kind of outgrown that idea. And into this kind of public intellectual dialogue stepped a young pastor. Now, he was one of these, what they called enthusiast pastors. That means he would do things like go to the coal mines and preach to poor people. Or he would preach in the streets. Or he even once like stood on a tombstone and preached. He did crazy things like sing hymns in church. So people were a little, little on the fence about this guy. But he read a, a particularly persuasive editorial. And he was outraged. So he pinned a pamphlet called On Original Sin. He said, you want to see sin in the world? You want to believe that we still need Jesus Christ? Just open up your back door. Now, pause for a moment. I know that if you open up your back door, it, it probably opens to a beautifully manicured lawn, maybe with the vegetable patch on the side or the slightly overgrown flower beds if you're in our backyard. But when John Wesley opened up his back door, it went right out onto the street. It opened onto the world around him. And what he saw was a place where technology was changing the way people worked and the way they lived, but it meant that lots of people were losing jobs or having to move into the city 
Sometimes these great advancements in machines meant that working conditions were dangerous. He saw a world where medicine was making great strides and advancements, but at the same time, we were exploring the globe, and new and scary diseases were coming in from places like Africa and India, and people were afraid. He saw a world that was opening up before people around them, but but new trade routes and new economies meant that the old money didn't quite work the way it had before. There's a temptation to think that the world has changed a lot in a couple hundred years, but when I look out John Wesley's back door, I'm not so sure it's really all that different than today. I know that it's not really all that different than the world Jesus spoke into. Our scripture reading today, John 3, 11 through 21, all of that is Jesus talking. He's at a dinner party uh, at Nicodemus' house, a Pharisee's house. Now, we have discussed before that Jesus was always quite an interesting dinner guest. Um, Conversation never kind of went the way you thought it would. And they start talking about how to navigate this new world of the Roman Empire and hang on to the old beliefs in the Jewish Messiah. How how are we going to talk about salvation? How are we going to talk about heaven coming on earth with the empire so close? Jesus kind of starts to say, you really have to reframe the question a little bit. He says, the Son of Man comes to save the world. And you probably know this little piece of it, right? John 3.16. Anybody have it memorized? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not. Yes, we have covered the basics. Woot! But he doesn't stop there. We memorize that verse. We know it well. But he keeps going into 17 and 18, right? Did you hear it? But the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world but to save it. I, I think if we, if we kind of think through it, what Jesus is really trying to say is, you don't need me to do the judging, condemning bit. You don't need God to condemn people, to, to rain down plague and violence and war and greed. You guys are doing a pretty good job of that all on your own. Son of Man doesn't come to condemn. Left to your own devices, you'll create all kind of havoc by yourself. And if we look out our back door, we find that this is still true, right? As much as the humanist wanted to believe that, that people were great and that things would just keep getting better and better and better, the old vices are still there, aren't they? Pride, greed, Violence, we do a pretty good job of condemning ourselves and others, all on our own. What Christ says instead is the Son of Man didn't come to do judgment and condemnation. The Son of Man came to offer hope. And he says is, 
You find all kinds of paths to death all by yourself. You find ways to kill yourself and others physically, spiritually, mentally. But the Son of Man comes to bring you life. Now I'm going to take a momentary pause. If you walk out of here today and what you heard me say was that people need Jesus so that after they die, they go to heaven and not hell, then I have not done my job. I'm not saying heaven isn't a big part of this, but what I'm saying is that when Christ is talking to Nicodemus, he's talking about eternal life here and now. He's talking about a present reality of hope and life-bringingness that we are not capable of doing on our own. He's talking about the fact that if we are left to our own devices, if we think we're in charge of how creation goes, then we will burn this ship down, right? In the very beginning, we walked in a garden, and it was idyllic, and it was wonderful, and there was exactly one rule. And do you know how many rules we broke? Yeah, all of them. (laughs) We had exactly one, and we couldn't handle it. And we haven't gotten any better since. But what Christ says is, all of this was created through me. And you can't make it better on your own, but through me, we can. There are all kinds of paths that lead to death, and people walk down them every day, but they need Christ to say, there is a way that leads to life. That's a pretty big statement. It's a statement of hope. It's a statement of power. And it's a statement that we should want to share all the time. And yet I say the E word, evangelism. And there's kind of that little twitch that goes off. I actually have a theory that there are three reasons that people get a little uncomfortable when we start talking about evangelism. Uh, The first one is that somewhere along the way, they have had a bad experience of being evangelized. Under this, I group, you know, the um, street preachers with the sandwich board, right? Repent, the end is nigh. Um, Or or maybe um, it was the well-meaning college student with the uh, carefully mimeographed trifold bulletin that asked, if you died tonight, where would you go? Some of us have had these encounters with evangelism that was not very hopeful, that was built on fear or guilt. Folks, if it ain't good news, if it ain't hope, it's not evangelism. The very word itself, evangelion, means good news. When we're doing evangelism, what we offer people is good news in Christ. The second reason I think some people get a little uh, scared about evangelism is that they are afraid of being the bad experience, right? I call this the fear of the awkward moment. Like, you're going to say the word Jesus Christ, and then there's going to be that two minutes that feels like two years when no one's talking. Or we're afraid that, that we'll say something and, and make someone upset, that we'll alienate a friend, 
that somewhere in our PC culture, claiming what has given us hope and life will somehow negate somebody else's experience. But the truth is, the statistics are on your side. Do you know, studies show that 80% of people, 80% of people who receive a personal invitation to church from someone they know will accept. Now, I'm not promising that they will get baptized that day or become a lifelong Christian, and I'm not talking about reading them the four spiritual laws. I'm saying if you just invite them into a community that has given you life, eight out of 10 times, they're gonna say yes. Eight out of 10, that's pretty good odds. We don't really need to be as afraid of that awkward space. The third one, and this is the one I really identify with, um, sometimes I think that we are scared of evangelism because we think we don't have a story to tell. Now, I and Patrick, we both uh, were commiserating about growing up in the age of the big evangelist. Right, late 80s, early 90s, it was a great time to be youth, young adult. There were these huge events like Acquire the Fire or the Delirious Tour, and they would come to town and they would have loud music and big lights. And there was always somewhere in the middle of it a guy, always a guy, um, who would get up on stage and he would have tattoos and piercings and he would tell this amazing story about how he had been abused as a child or a drug addict or a criminal, or even better, he'd get the trifecta, right? All three. But that somewhere along the way, Jesus had grabbed him by the shoulders and reformed his life. And it would be this wonderful and moving testimony. There are lots of stories out there, and they have done great and wonderful work, but they are not the only stories that matter. See that young preacher I was talking about earlier? You can tell John Wesley's story a little bit like this. Um, he grew up as a son in a very large family, mostly raised by mom because dad was a very busy pastor. So he was in church most weeks, right? Good PK. Um, went into the family business straight out of college. Tried always to live up to his father's expectations and pretty early in the life failed rather spectacularly at it. Um, so when he came back from a failed business trip, he started hanging out with his little brother's friends, right? This is how you know you're at a high point in your life. And he goes with them one night to a prayer meeting. He's been very anxious about his relationship with Christ. He's just not feeling it in worship. And this is after he's become a pastor. And he goes and he hears... Luther's introduction to Romans read, he says, all of a sudden I knew that Christ's love was for me, even me, and I felt my heart strangely warmed. That's it. It was not fireworks. It was not 
radical shift. And yet out of that moment, he becomes a man who founds one of the most influential revival movements in Western history. He becomes a fantastically prolific speaker and author. He founds societies all over England and Ireland. He even keeps the only church together through the American Revolution. He becomes a pastor that is remembered not just in our tradition, but in traditions worldwide. And I can promise you, it wasn't because of his sparkling personality, his great wit, or his wonderful writing style. There were better writers. There were better preachers. There were more entertaining personalities. And yet, John Wesley's work has persevered. And I think it goes back to this. Every time he stepped into his pulpit, there was a little plaque that he had had placed there that said, give them Christ. That was it. He reminded himself every Sunday that whether the sermon felt like it had come together or not, whether life was going well or not, he was going to give them Jesus. And he did it over and over. In everything he did, he tried to give them the hope of Christ. He tried to proclaim that good news. Just give them Jesus. And we are still reading those sermons today. Folks, evangelism doesn't have to be big and scary. It's just about offering the hope in Christ that you already know. So over the next three weeks, we're going to challenge ourselves as a congregation to step out more, to start sharing that hope in Christ with those beyond these walls. And as part of that, we're going to practice while you're here. So I want you to take five minutes. You're going to find a partner you did not ride in the car with, right? Somebody who doesn't live in your house. (laughs) And I just want you to answer with them this question. When did God become real for you? This is kind of a version of the why do people need Jesus, except it's more personal. It's about your story, big and dramatic, quiet and heartwarming. When did God become real for you? This is the question that we ask uh, people when they come into the office to talk about joining. It's a good way to open the door for your story. And if you're not quite sure, if, if you can't find that moment yet, that's okay. And and if that moment doesn't happen in a church building or at Lakeview Camp, if it's seeing the sunrise over Brazos Bend, that's great. What I want you to do is just practice sharing with someone that peace. Where has God come real for you? Find a partner. All right. So you can hardly do a series on evangelism and not take it out beyond the walls just a little bit, right? Uh, So as you saw, kind of at the end of every service, we're going to have this time to talk and to share together. So I'm going to give you a challenge today for our conversation in two weeks, right? Now, if you're not going to be here in two weeks, don't think you get out of it. It'll still be good to do it. Um, I want you to find somebody who doesn't have a church home, 
whether they consider themselves unchurched or kind of lapsed church, find someone who doesn't have a church family and just ask them why. Take that little Jesus kind of piece, not coming to condemn, uh, and if the space is right, you can share why you need Jesus Christ, but mostly I want you to hear their story. Why has church not been a part of your life? We're going to share a little bit about that time in two weeks, right? Two weeks? You've got two weeks to do it. I'm sure you can find somebody, right? Awesome. Invitation is to take your next step in your faith journey with Christ. For some of you, that might mean it's time to make this your church family home. We'd love for you to um, talk with us after the service, that we might plan for the time when you're going to join the church family. And for the rest of us, the next step is pretty direct. Uh, we really do believe that uh, figuring out how best to tell our story so that others might come to know Jesus Christ is a crucial piece in the growth of our community and as individuals in Christ. So begin taking that next step now as together over the next two weeks we study and look at what it means to be a community of catch um, a, a people of Jesus that involve uh, evangelism in our day-to-day -day life um, our closing hymn is in Christ alone uh, we've got uh, uh, wonderful Stephen ministers there in blue Michael and Susan Moss uh, they will uh, probably come up here and wave at you but uh, if you would like to receive prayer or care from them they'll be doing that out in the narthex so I hope that you'll take advantage of them David will you uh, lead us in in Christ alone the world needs Jesus Christ a Savior who came not to bring more condemnation but to find the paths that lead to life. So go forth, ready to share the hope that you have found, the places God has become real to you, and to help others to experience Christ as part of their story. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.